Blog Talk Radio. This is our common ground, alternative activists, empowerment, talk radio, speaking truth to ours and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know. Don't tell me Negro, that's nothing. What were you before the white man named you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? As you honor our forefathers and foremothers, I urge you to honor our living heroes. When you honor the names of Matt Turner, Harriet Tubman, and Malcolm X, I urge you to honor the names of Geronimo Zijaga, Sundiata Akoli, Matulu Shakur, and Mumia Abu-Jamal. America's chickens! Coming home to roost. Violence begets violence. Hatred begets hatred. And terrorism begets terrorism. Our common ground speaking truth to power and ourselves. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Thank you for being with us. Stay tuned. proclamation that freed the slaves, 200,000 people converge on the nation's capital to rally for civil rights. They come by train, they come by bus and by air. They come from the north, the south, the east and west. They come united in one cause, to urge Congress to pass a civil rights bill to end forever the blight of racial inequity. This great throng with a cause gathers on the mall that stretches from the Washington Monument toward the capital. From the break of dawn, they filter into the city. it is estimated that 40,000 had assembled. But it's more like a Sunday outing as they form into groups and discuss the day quietly. They are scheduled to move to the Lincoln Memorial at noon to hear the top leaders of the movement. Those leaders at the moment are conferring on Capitol Hill with members of Congress, pointing up the aims of the rally. There are more than 200,000 thronging the mall, a crowd that is bigger than the most optimistic forecasts. Now there's a growing animation. It seems as if the demonstrators were finding strength in each other and discovered their cause was a bond. The crowd became impatient to get started, and they moved toward the Lincoln Memorial before the scheduled hour. 
They move with good humor, laughter, and song. Few realize that in a sense they are participants in an historical day. It will become part of the American scene that today's gathering is the largest in Washington's history. The men who organized the rally walk with springing steps toward the speaker stand. On the left, Roy Wilkins with A. Philip Randolph. They have fought their fight all of their adult lives. In the van is Martin Luther King, who has been jailed 12 times on racial issues. Others on hand include Walter Ruther, head of the auto workers. Authorities were fearful of disorders, and there were 5,000 uniformed men on duty. They had little to do but keep dissident groups away from the rally. Arrests in Washington were below normal. Police attribute this to the fact that for the first time in 30 years, you couldn't even buy a beer in Washington. The civil rights marchers needed no stimulants like that. They provided their own with songs that ranged from the sacred to the hillbilly, but with the one recurring theme, the cause of 20 million Negroes. States. 
And for those of you who are on the East Coast, we want to hear from you and where you are and what you're seeing around the storm. Our number is 347-838-9852. You need to write that down. 347-838-9852 to call us and be on the Hurricane Watch. We're watching Irene tonight at our Common Ground. Uh, We are expecting that Irene is going to reach us tomorrow afternoon here in Boston. We've had some rainfall. Um, um, Actually, there have been a couple of downpours uh, since about 5 o'clock, but now it seems that the weather is resting. Our number is 347-838-9852. You know, I'm an old soldier of hurricanes having grown up in South Florida. Um, a coming hurricane for children, especially growing up in Florida, is just a big deal because all the shutters get pulled down, the, the inevitable loss of power and using candles. And in our house, it was always a time of uh, great preparation because we had loads of Coconut trees and fruit trees, mango trees, avocado trees, sapodilla trees, every kind of tree you ever want to name. Grapefruit trees, orange trees. Uh, what am I missing? No apple trees. But here in, New, in, in Boston, we do have a pear tree and an apple tree in our yard. We also, our property borders on a patch of woods in the city. So... I'm an old hand at hurricane watching. Uh, It was always a time for family to gather at one house. Um, And for the days preceding the hurricane in South Florida, the people were cooking and preparing uh, food and platters and drinks and preparing coolers with ice and so that you could always have cold water and cold drinks and um there were lots of cards and checkers and chess and dominoes going so it was like a party and it was always my wish that I would stay awake all night long uh to hear the howl of the winds and and the pummeling of rain Uh, on the rooftop I never I don't remember if I ever quite made it through an entire hurricane but I do remember in my high school years for the older kids it was the day after the hurricane when the winds hadn't quite um, toned down and fully and um, the rains however had subsided and we would all head for the beach to go surfing. After a hurricane, the surf is the best. But tonight, this Janice Graham is not necessarily dreaming of hurricanes. Thank you for being with us here tonight. Also at our Common Ground tonight, we're going to take a serious look at the issue of the disappearing of civil rights on the week of the King Memorial opening. We did cancel our trip. We had planned 
to go into Washington, D.C., participate in the March for Jobs on today and attend the ceremony for tomorrow and attend the big gala, the King Gala tonight and go in for a concert last night. But uh, we were smart. I had a good sense about this weather and we canceled uh, our trip um, that was supposed to start on yesterday. What were your plans? What are your thoughts about the King Memorial? And what are your thoughts about what it means in the year and in the era where voter suppression is huge? There is a campaign across this country uh, for voter suppression. Most of us identify with Martin Luther King the onset and the deliverance of civil rights especially having to do with voter rights, having to do with desegregation of our educational, public educational facilities and public facilities in general. And we always think of him in terms of uh, his I Have a Dream speech at the 1963 um, March on Washington, and we played the newsreel coming in to our program tonight uh, because that is a piece of history. But one of the things that we have to begin to think about is what we gained during the civil rights era and the erosion of what we achieved and accomplished. And one of the things that I always think about, and I'm going to share with you tonight as we watch, I am watching the the weather report, and on Providence, Rhode Island, through Sunday evening, they are now forecasting that there are going to be damaging winds. Um, We hope that we will have a time to finish uh, preparing. We do have our cooler ready. We do have um, gas cooking facilities, including um, uh, a grill. And we have prepared our foods and put them so that if we have to transfer them from, if we lose our power and we have to transfer them into a cooler, we can do that. But let me get back to this whole issue of how we are now viewing our civil rights. I think that if you look at voter suppression, if you look at the kind of candidates that are coming out of the Tea Party, despite the fact that Maxine Waters, the U.S. Congresswoman from California, who pro- who proclaimed that um, the Tea Party can go to hell, the fact is, YJ, I know you're with me on this one, the Tea Party ain't going to hell. The Tea Party is going to continue to work on its agenda. And one of the things that we have to be real clear about, we have to work on our agenda. So I have a number of things I want to share with you. In our second hour, we're going to be talking about affirmative action because as we have this discussion about jobs, 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 and what this president is doing about a jobs program for the American people, one of the things that I think that we need to take a look at is how did we get to a 16.8% unemployment rate when in... 1964, we had a major Civil Rights Act, and some of it had to do 
with employment and employment discrimination. We we talked briefly with Barbara Arnwine, who's the executive director of the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law, uh, two weeks ago about this issue. That much of what has what has impacted the unemployment rate in the black community has to do with employment discrimination. So in the second hour, we're going to be talking about that. But let me share with you um, what I think is the most important speech made, the most important speech, not the I have a dream speech, not the um, other speeches made by King and others, even though they were very important. But here's a speech that we don't talk very much about. You're listening to Our Common Ground. My fellow Americans, I'm about to sign into law the Civil Rights Act of 1964. I want to take this occasion to talk to you about what that law means to every American. 188 years ago this week, a small band of valiant men began a long struggle for freedom. They pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor, not only to found a nation, but to forge an ideal of freedom, not only for political independence, but for personal liberty. Not only to eliminate foreign rule, but to establish the rule of justice in the affairs of men. That struggle was a turning point in our history. Today, in far corners of distant continents, the ideals of those American patriots still shape the struggles of men who hunger for freedom. This is a proud triumph. Yet those who founded our country knew that freedom would be secure only if each generation fought to renew and enlarge its meaning. From the Minutemen at Concord to the soldiers in Vietnam, each generation has been equal to that trust. Americans of every race and color have died in battle to protect our freedom. Americans of every race and color have worked to build a nation of widening opportunities. Now, our generation of Americans has been called on to continue the unending search for justice within our own borders. We believe that all men are created equal, yet many are denied equal treatment. We believe that all men have certain unalienable rights, yet many Americans do not enjoy those rights. We believe that all men are entitled to the blessings of liberty, yet millions are being deprived of those blessings. 
not because of their own failures, but because of the color of their skin. The reasons are deeply embedded in history and tradition and the nature of man. We can understand without rancor or hatred how this all happened, but it cannot continue. Our Constitution, the foundation of our Republic, forbids it. The principles of our freedom forbid it. Morality forbids it. And the law I will sign tonight forbids it. Number 
347-838-9852. If the history of voting rights teaches us anything, it is that the articulation of a right is one thing. Realization of that right is quite another thing. And it is far more difficult, far more difficult. The 15th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, which was ratified in 1870, states in no uncertain terms that the right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged on account of race, color, or previous condition of of servitude. For a time, this promise was honored. African Americans voted in large numbers throughout the country, including in the states of the former Confederacy. Many African Americans also served in legislative office during this period, with over 300 black legislators elected from southern states in 1872. And the question tonight at Our Common Ground, the right to vote, Is it bending toward justice, or are we backsliding? As we look back toward the sacrifices of Dr. King and countless others, it is incumbent that we remember the Voting Rights Act of 1965 changed the face of the country. When it comes to the fundamental vote to right, there is a serious question about whether this country will bend toward justice or backslide. We cannot be lulled into believing that progress is inevitable. It is not. Nor can we wait for the courts to save us. This week in Indiana, the Lawyers' Committee had just one victory of the 48 legislative moves across this country to alter the fundamental right to vote. We cannot be lulled into believing that progress is inevitable. If we do, those seeking regressive changes are going to prevail. We must learn from the example of Dr. King and his allies. We must speak out against these new burdens on voting and demand reforms like Election Day registration that will make it easier for all eligible citizens to participate in our democracy. Making the right to vote a reality is, in the end, our responsibility. We certainly cannot place that responsibility on others. Thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, I do want to make a couple of notes here. Uh, Irene is still making her way up the eastern coast, and we are watching. I've got the weather channel on. I hope that you have the weather channel on if you live on the on the on the east coast. And please feel free to call us at three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two to let us know what's going on in your area. Of course, we've been calling the princess in Washington, D.C. This is her um, big um, 
test to handle a crisis if there is to be one, and we are praying that there will not. Here in the Boston area, we've had some intermittent uh, rain downpours, but not much, much of anything. And uh, we'd like to hear from you, 347-838-9852. In this first hour of Our Common Ground tonight, uh, we do want to send out our heartfelt uh, prayers to Gil Noble, who is the legendary New York broadcaster. He is, in my opinion, the dean of black of chronicling uh, black culture and history uh, in my lifetime. Gil Noble and to his family, we hope that they will stay strong. Gil was uh, struck with um, a stroke about three weeks ago. He's still in hospital, and uh, we certainly wish uh, him well and look to see him recovering from it. Uh, The other is to acknowledge the death, the passing of Nick Ashford, one of my favorite uh, entertainers. He and his uh, Ashford and Simpson, if you do not know them, we certainly think that as long as you have power here on the East Coast, but wherever you are, that... uh, if you don't have any CDs or albums of Ashford and Simpson, that you go to YouTube and do a wonderful, wonderful, have your own party, Ashford and Simpson party. That's something that you can do tomorrow. We also want to mention to you that next Saturday here at Our Common Ground, we'll be having an intimate conversation with our brother actor and author, Isaiah Washington. We hope that you will join us for that. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, I want to share some more of how important it is for us to understand what we accomplished in the civil rights era in this week of the opening of a memorial to Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. I'm Janice Graham. Thank you for being with us. And we hope that you will stay with us as we watch uh, the eye of the storm. Network, nightly call-in talk radio. It's the Black Voice Collaborative, right here on Blog Talk Radio. TruthWorks Network, Monday 
Power Views, Reloading the Truth, the best of broadcast interviews in and around black media across the Internet. Wednesdays, Architects of Change with Elvin Dowling and friends. Change, motivation, and inspiration. 9 p.m. Wednesday evenings. Architects of Change with Elvin Dowling and friends. Saturdays. Just damn political pushback with the master daddy of all political thought. The Alpha Show with Alpha, 3 p.m. on TruthWorks Network. The truth must be spoken more than once. Hi, I'm Cuba Gooding Jr. Support King Me. First time in this country's history, this great land, this mall, will be diversified. Because truth trusters will rise again. How long, not long. that break. I uh, hope it wasn't that your power went out. 
Um, I am particularly interested in hearing what you are doing if you are on the East Coast, where you are, your location, and what you have done to prepare. The most important thing for preparation for high winds uh, from a hurricane is a hurricane is that you batten down things around outside. You have never seen anything until you see a chair being hurled up in the air, one of those little plastic chairs. It can do a lot of damage when it gets in the wind. So we suggest that. The other is we suggest, if you haven't, to put together a cooler with ice, just the ice that, from the ice maker, if you had, didn't go out to get ice. And the other is to stay inside. There is a myth that people in Florida, they still do it. Masking tape doesn't stop your windows from breaking. What it does is it stops the shattering of the glass. That's all it does. So we've uh, we've been busy as little bees around here today, um, making sure that some of the dead branches in our woods, uh, pulling on branches and bringing them down before they get hurled and 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 taken by the wind. Um, as you know, I'm a big gardener, so I've been. Um, this is a lot of work. It's a lot of work. 301, you're on the air in the black eye of the storm. Thank you for your call from 301. That's Marilyn. Hmm. Hello, Miss Graham. This is Lion Den from the Lion 301. Lion XD. How are you? Uh, I'm I'm blessed, actually. It was raining and windy. It had been raining and windy all day. Um, we're starting to see the um, remnants of Irene, but um, the whole hurricane will arrive, I mean, reportedly within the next two to four hours. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, we're expecting it to come in here in the afternoon tomorrow. It's a very slow-moving storm. Um, yeah. What about transportation, public transportation in, in the D.C. and Maryland area, Lion's Den? Well, it's funny you mentioned that. Um, unlike Philly and New York, um, in the D.C. area, I checked with Metro here, um, and it's, op- it's, it's operation, operational was uh-huh. just fine. Yeah, you know, yeah, they didn't close run. down. They didn't close down the public no. transportation in Boston either, and no. don't plan on doing it. Right. But um, today, um, I've, I've been noticed that you know like, a lot of people are. It's quiet in downtown D.C. There's no um, we do, however, that here our mayor um, is, is calling the state of an emergency here. So, uh-huh. um, which means that everybody will not be out in the street unless it's absolutely necessary. Mm-hmm. So, everybody is not going to be on the streets due to this weather. Um, but you know, I've been hearing it here in the D.C. area that they, the mayor himself uh, offer you know, the residents here, 5,000 sandbags, you know, for those who need it or help their neighbors. If you, if it's flooded, if you need sandbags, they have 5,000 additional sandbags here in the D.C. area. So that's what happened mm-hmm. earlier today. He passed out all the sandbags for, for the residents there, and 
and um, for you know for the for the people that lives in that area who's having problems with flooding and you know there which is really good for the mayor to do that here in the uh-huh. here in uh-huh. DC. So you feel so, that DC is prepared? Oh yes, ma'am. It's well prepared. I mean, I think they it's been prepared since um, since actually Tuesday. Um, uh-huh. They expected it. They basically expected it for this to happen, and so you know, really, they, the, the the hurricane itself ain't gonna hit downtown DC. It's gonna basically hit the Outer Banks, um, like Ocean City, Maryland, um, uh-huh. and stuff like that, where the beaches are. But other than that, but we do gonna have wind, rain, um, and that's basically it. We ain't, we're not gonna have like hurricane force winds, but just tropical uh-huh. storm winds. What did you do personally to prepare? Oh, um, my family and I went. We had um, we have plenty of food. We have um, a lot of water. Um, we got plenty of batteries just in case if the power is out. We can use the batteries for our hand radios. Um, we, you don't have a crank rip- radio. <laughs> I'm looking for a cranker. <laughs> I am not cranking no damn radio. We have a crank radio, and mm-hmm. and when you start cranking that thing. Uh, what I did was I powered up all my um, devices, my iPad, right. my right. Galaxy Tab, and I kept my – make sure, for those of you who are on the East Coast, make sure you keep your phone on the charger. I agree. That's extremely important. It's mm-hmm. very important. Mm-hmm. We also have a crank lamp. <laughs> I ain't cranking no lamp either. <laughs> so all the crankers, you all come. We got plenty of food. We've got all kinds of food. We have an indoor um, grill, so we're grilling up chicken and grilling up stuff. Um, mm. And I made a big salad. I'm not, you know, I'm not a big cook, right? Right. So oh. I called. I called the um, the little um, um, the people that cook. And ordered up macaroni and cheese, which I don't eat a lot of, but people here love to eat it. And and we got um, um, some candied yams, and I'll doctor those up. Because one of the great things is I always insist on having a gas stove. Oh, wow. From having oh, lived wow. in Florida. Oh, that's, yeah, that's because cool. You don't you lose your gas. Right. You know, so um, the only thing I worry about is uh, I remember uh, as a kid in in hurricanes in South Florida that it just got so damn hot in the house, hot and muggy right. and, you know, and when you lose the electricity, you, you can't use your air conditioning or fans. So, right. you know, you all better go out and steal some fans from the church or go to the funeral home and pick up a couple Whatever. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, did you cook? Oh no! Uh, actually, um, what we did was we basically, you know, I really basically like just fix some. I'm not. not, I'm not well, I'm Please a don't tell person. me you went to churches. Church's chicken because the way they treated Don, we are on boycott of Church's chicken. Oh no, no Church's chicken. No. We, matter of fact, yeah, because we, don't we have stand in solidarity with our brother Doc Don. No, we we don't have church chicken here in the D.C. area. Only Popeye's oh, chicken, okay. but 
<laughs> but, but other than, other than that, um, no, uh, we I did ate some noodles and stuff like that, and little, little oh, light. Oh, don't tell stuff. me you're eating. What's the name of that stuff? Ramen uh, noodles. That nah, just, not that. It looks like stuff. cardboard just, in a package. Right, right, but not, no, not is, that. Is that it's what you eat? Mm-mm. This is Chinese noodles that I ate. It was just oh. it was really really good. So uh huh uh huh. Well, you know you need to stay away from the Chinese noodles and start eating some Thai noodles or something. Make sure, <laughs> or you know we <laughs> we order because I'm always on a low carb diet. Right. We order noodles that are made from squid. Oh wow. And they come frozen. No, they come they come fresh. You, they 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 sent we order them from a company in San Francisco and oh. you you have to buy like 12 packages and little packages and they come in the water and everything. So we don't use a uh, flour base or wheat base uh noodles. We we do we do some strange things up in here because we're old and we have to try to stay healthy. You know, you know what I mean. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> I understand. Believe me, I do. And, yeah. And the older you get, if I eat a Milky Way, I gain 15 pounds. So I have mm. to be real, real careful. Let me ask you, Lions Den, because sure. in this hour we're trying to get feedback about the disappearance of the civil rights progress that we made during the civil rights era. What's mm. your what's your take on on the memorial? Well, um, um well, 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 let me um well, first of all, I would like to say that with this memorial, um like, you know, information man was saying last night which blows me away about the um one thing is, is that I also want to go to the Martin Luther King Memorial. I'm always want to go to the Martin Luther King Memorial. Unfortunately, as you know, that because of the storm, because of Hurricane Irene, you know, it's, I mean, basically we we didn't get a chance to make it. But unfortunately, um, it's very historic um, that that we have a Martin Luther King Memorial. Um, that's basically basically we basically we have been a long time coming. Because we really wanted to know that I think for for a long time now that we always won a Martin Luther King Memorial in in the National Mall, but I think that's here in D.C. There's been some setbacks with that. So finally, mm-hmm. they finally got you know they finally got the memorial. Fifteen years later, up. exactly. Mm-hmm. So you know it's 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 been it's been a long time, and they finally got it together. Because remember, you know. It's always been working hard for the Martin Luther King Memorial, but there's been a black, I think a backlash for that. But but again, like I said, that it was finally done. I'm so happy that you know um, that the Martin Luther King Memorial has been built. And mm-hmm. uh, one day, since I'm living in the D.C. area, I hope I can see it. If I mean, I, don't, I think they're rescheduling the ceremonies. I yeah, think it's not going to close. Week. Well, it actually opened officially on on uh, Tuesday. Right, right, right. Uh, so it will be open, and it's absolutely beautiful. I've seen some very stunning uh, photographs so far. Mm. King's okay. image on the mall. 
will be a, a sturdy reminder that his story and the story of the people for whom he died helped to rescue American democracy and make justice a living creed for even for a short period of time. And right. you know, and that's one of the things that we have to keep in mind. The other thing that has really puzzled me, and thank you so much for your call, um, and you stay safe, and thank you for the truck, the truck that's in our tr- um, in our chat room, came from <laughs> um, came from Lion's Den, um, okay. and it's a it's a really nice little piece. <laughs> Thanks so much, Lion's Den, and you stay thank you, you stay safe and you stay warm and you stay dry. I will will do. Thank you, Janice. Okay. And I I do have to report that my granddaughter who has been in school in Washington DC uh for only um for just a week now um went out in all of this weather uh to pick up her refrigerator. Uh, which she might not have any power for for the night. Our number is 347-838-9852, and we're talking about how we're watching, how we're coping with Irene, and also about the disappearance. Uh, For those of you who are just joining us, and I think I might do it again, I did share um, what I think was one of the most important speeches of the civil rights movement, and it was not made by um, Martin Luther King, and it was not made by any um, uh, civil rights activists. It was made by President Lyndon Baines Johnson as he signed the 1964 Civil Rights Act. So our question is, we now have this intersection, the intersection where there are those who are successfully challenging the civil rights progress made during the civil rights movement, and at the same time, we're celebrating the person that we called the drum major for justice who helped restore the thinking of America about democracy. You're listening to Our Common Ground. up and 
seamlessly as we did in college and do your sophomoreish philosophy and then you get out of the dorm at 6.30 in the morning and nothing changed. When you came home from Washington, it started to change. My fellow Americans, I'm about to sign into law the Civil Rights Act of 1964. I want to take this occasion to talk to you about what that law means to every American. 188 years ago this week, a small band of valiant men began a long struggle for freedom. They pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor, not only to found a nation, but to forge an ideal of freedom, not only for political independence, but for personal liberty, not only to eliminate foreign rule, but to establish the rule of justice in the affairs of men. That struggle was a turning point in our history. Today, in far corners of distant continents, the ideals of those American patriots still shape the struggles of men who hunger for freedom. This is a proud triumph. Yet those who founded our country knew that freedom would be secure only if each generation fought to renew and enlarge its meaning. From the Minutemen at Concord to the soldiers in Vietnam, each generation has been equal to that trust. Americans of every race and color have died in battle to protect our freedom. Americans of every race and color have worked to build a nation of widening opportunities. Now, our generation of Americans has been called on to continue the unending search for justice within our own borders. We believe that all men are created equal, yet many are denied equal treatment. We believe that all men have certain unalienable rights, yet many Americans do not enjoy those rights. We believe that all men are entitled to the blessings of liberty, yet millions are being deprived of those blessings, not because of their own failures, but because of the color of their skin. The reasons are deeply embedded in history and tradition and the nature of man. We can understand without rancor or hatred how this all happened. But it cannot continue. Our Constitution, the foundation of our Republic, forbids it. The principles of our freedom forbid it. Morality 
forbids it. And the law I will sign tonight forbids it. Now, we can categorize civil rights speeches in a number of ways, all the way from speeches made by Baynard Rustin, all the way to speeches made by Malcolm X during that period. But in my opinion, that speech just made by the then President Lyndon Baines Johnson is one, one of the most important speeches of the civil rights era. What did he say? He said, each generation has a responsibility. And I think it's both fitting and ironic that President Obama will preside over the cementing of the king's status as an icon in the national political memory. Obama's historic presidency is unthinkable without King's assassination and the black masses' blood-stained resistance to racial terror. We do know that this president embraced King's rhetoric of justice during his presidential campaign while eschewing his role as prophet. Presidents uphold the country. Prophets often hold up an unflattering mirror to the nation. Who is today's prophet that will speak to the deterioration of the progress made during the civil rights movement? And when I say progress, I'm talking about laws. And in our second hour, we're going to be talking about a specific law that lends itself, its violation lends itself to the unconscionable unemployment rate of black Americans in this country. Martin Luther King may now be widely regarded as a saint of American equality, but he often had to criticize this nation's politics and social habits to inspire and at some times to force reform. He helped to make America better by making it bend to its own ideals. You heard the president, a southern Texas president, say it is not right. The law forbids it. I think that had he lived, King would have certainly hailed President Obama's historic feat, even At the same time, he would have taken issue with some of the president's policies toward black and poor people. It would have been principled criticism rooted in an obsession with improving the lives of the most vulnerable people in this country. To paraphrase Obama's favorite film, The Godfather, King's argument would would be that it's business not personal. We'd like to hear from you, 347-838-9852. Thank you for being with us. If you'd like to join in the discussion in our chat room, you can do so by coming to blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG. We are also soliciting your observation 
on the move, Irene, the hurricane that's taking the East Coast by storm. And, you know, it's really interesting that this um, ceremony for the opening of uh, the King Monument is being stopped by a storm. Uh, The parallel is that we are also being stopped by a storm, a storm of people who want to take their country back, who have gained the power and have the moves, the inside moves to do that. And one of the things we have to ask is where are the people that we have supported? Where are the Democrats? And what are we going to do about them? Our number is 347-838-9852. We hope that you will stay with us in the second hour. We're going to be talking about one of the laws that came out of the civil rights movement, a law that has never been properly uh, implemented. It has never been properly enforced. There has been very little oversight in regard to the law. And in my mind, it was one of the greatest advantages that we have. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about affirmative action. I know you're asking today, how long will it take? Somebody's asking, how long will prejudice blind the visions of men? I come to say to you this afternoon, however difficult the moment, however frustrating the hour, it will not be long because truth crushed earth will rise again. How long? Not long. Because no lie can live forever. How long? Not long. Because you shall reap what you sow. How long? Not long. Too forever on the scaffold, long forever on the throne. Yet that scaffold sways the future. Behind the dim unknown standeth God within the shadow, keeping watch above his own. How long? Not long. Because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. How long? Not long. Because mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He's trampling out the village where the grapes of wrath are stored. He's loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible twist forth. His truth is marching on. He has sounded forth the trumpet that shall never call retreat. He is sifting out the hearts of men before his judgment seat. Oh, be swift, my soul, to answer him. Be jubilant, my feet. Our God is marching on. Glory, hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah.
common ground. Talk that matters. We know what to do with radio. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. to the beach to watch the waves. 
you can drown. They're, most deaths are from drowning in a hurricane. Stay home, folks. Just stay home. Have a good time. Turn on some music as long as you can and can last in it. I, I know that one of um, the, the best stories that I ever got from my family learning about their history and how my folks met and how the sisters used to fight and all of that kind of stuff was in the deep dark of a shuttered house during a very heavy hurricane. And those are the kinds of things that you do on the watch. And so I hope that your uh, Irene watch will be safe and that you will – it looks like with uh, global warming, yes, folks, there is global warming, that we're going to be seeing a lot of this unusual kind of weather. It's very unusual for Boston to be part of any hurricane coming through. It's usually the Cape and the Out Islands and um, Rhode Island, our New Hampshire, that gets uh, this kind of stuff. Uh, And we have to also be careful right after and during a hurricane about tornadoes. So watch for your tornado warnings. You're listening to Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Graham. And uh, one of the things I want to talk about in this hour is affirmative action. Many of you know that President Lyndon Baines Johnson, who I have a lot of respect for how he understood the timbre of the political climate under which he governed. That's something that our current president is not quite getting. So I want to talk about affirmative action. Executive Order 11246 was when Lyndon Johnson issued an order which said that all employers with 50 or more employees, public and private, all government employees are subject to remedies when there is evidence of past discrimination to correct, to remedy the effects of past discrimination. Uh, Last year, I attended the Federalist Society as a panel member talking about affirmative action, and they sent me a copy of all of the panels and the major presentations, and I wanted to share some of that with you. Our number is 347-838-9852. I've tried to make the clip small so that if you wanted to chime in in between a clip. This is a presentation made by uh, a woman by the name of Linda Chavez. You may know her. She is the daughter of the famous Chavez. Um, And Shirley Wilshire. Uh, we'll also be looking at some a presentation made by uh, Theodore Shaw, who is the head, uh, who teaches at uh, Columbia Law School. And I'd like to get your response because I think people really need to know that there are people who are paying attention to these issues and connecting the dots. This is our common ground today. Um, 
I, uh, as has been indicated, was uh, head of the Office of Federal Contract Compliance Programs, uh, which enforces President Lyndon Johnson's Executive Order 11246. And for those of you that are not familiar with the Executive Order, it re requires equal opportunity and affirmative action to promote equal opportunity by federal contractors. Those that have contracts of over $10,000 or more have to not discriminate and use affirmative action. Those with contracts of $50,000 or more and 50 employees have to have a, a written affirmative action program. And I was there for nearly seven years. In taking a look at the um, Obama administration and affirmative action, I think it's fairly clear that affirmative action is alive and well, uh, and was not retired, by the way, <laughs> during the previous administration, particularly as it relates to the executive order program and, and a few others. I think that that position is reflected not only in, in policy statements, and uh, if I recall in, in checking the president did to also talk about the fact that the Supreme Court is moving the ball, and it did, he, did, he indicated that um, notwithstanding the Ritchie, Ritchie decision, white firefighters case, it still allows for employers and educators to take race into account in hiring, promotions, admissions. He also noted that crude quotas are not, are unnecessarily are unnecessarily and constitutionally impermissible, but he did think that there were still circumstances in which a college admissions uh, officer or, or in a hiring decision, race could be taken into account, particularly as it relates to past discrimination or taking um, or related to issues of diversity in a workforce or a student body. He thinks that's still appropriate as he understood uh, the Ritchie decision. Um, there's also, by the way, an interview that George Stephanopoulos did as, uh, while he was a candidate that addresses issues of not only race but um, social and economic disadvantage, and that's led to a lot of discussion about whether the president actually wants to replace considerations of race with economic disadvantage. Um, I think that's incorrect to go that far. But that doesn't mean that one cannot do both, and I happen to be a supporter of that. Looking at the administration's proposals on budget uh, and staffing, to me, also reflects what its um, priorities are. And that affirmative action programs, and I'll say that by extension, equal opportunity programs are um, given high regard. In fact, at my former agency, the Office of Federal Contract Compliance Programs, the, the uh, President and the Secretary of Labor have, have, have done an, a remarkable thing. They have promoted uh, my old job to reporting now to the Secretary of Labor. I think that's probably the first time that's happened in the history of the contract compliance program. So now uh, she, the person who's there, Patricia Shu, who is an attorney from San Francisco, will be Director Shu, um, and again reports to the Secretary. I think that indicates a lot about the restoration of the program. I suspect the words affirmative action will be used again. Uh, as, as they were not in the past eight years, but also the administration has proposed an increase of more than 200 FTEs or staff, which during the previous administration the staffing had gone down to under 600. Why is that a problem? Because the contract compliance program covers roughly a quarter of the civilian labor force. You can't man, uh, administer any kind of program with such a small number of staff. But even with increasing the staffing, 
again, one would urge while I'm here that self-analysis was really the whole idea anyway and not uh, strong uh, enforcement in terms of going on site. There simply aren't enough resources for that. Uh, I understand that this administration will also at the department focus on veterans and disability issues. Uh, and there are, as you know, two laws that require affirmative action for veterans, one for veterans and one for people with disabilities. And I strongly suggest those of you who represent federal contractors take a close look at your VETS programs and your disability programs, but also look at your compensation programs because I understand that they're going to look at equal pay issues too. A couple more minutes. <laughs> Time. Okay. <laughs> um, so again, let's look at the, the budget priorities the policy priorities, they'll continue to focus on systemic, but I don't, systemic discrimination, but I don't know to what extent they're going to revise the, the, the guidelines that were um, uh, handed down during the previous administration. They are also going to take a look at contractors receiving monies under the American Recovery and Reconstruction Act. Federal contractors, construction and non-construction, uh, should take advantage of the compliance assistance that's being provided uh, and it's being posted on the website because I strongly believe that once the new staff is in place and a lot of training takes place, you're going to see a lot more construction compliance reviews. Uh, so I think it's clear that discrimination and affirmative action issues will be um, highlighted in that administration. But also at the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, uh, this administration has recommend, recommended a substantial increase in its budget and more than 140 more staff. And it's noted on its website that it will, obviously it has got the re responsibility to enforce the Americans with Disabilities Act amendments as well as the Genetic um, Information on Discrimination Act. And there's no indication that that's going to be minimized. But also there is, again, an interest in systemic discrimination. So those of you who are focusing on the EEOC, it'll be interesting to see what they do with systemic. And as you know, Jackie Berrien uh, was nominated uh, as chair of the EEOC, and she comes out of the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, uh, one of those left-wing organizations that I think you're familiar with. Um, there are other issues. The Department of Justice, Tom Perez, has been confirmed as the Assistant Attorney General and has been written uh, quite in quite a few places. There's going to be a return to the status quo ante 2001, focusing on equal uh, uh, opportunity as relate, and non-discrimination as it relates to housing, um, employment, and, and other issues. Also a focus on racial profiling and hate crime. Uh, and of course, after the 2010 census, there will be an interest and an emphasis on um, redistricting issues. What does this all say in terms of the, the perspective of the, of the administration on affirmative action? As reflected in its budget priorities, I think it it's certainly stands strong. As reflected by the elevation of the agency that is primarily responsible for enforcing affirmative action laws, that is a major statement. I understand also, by the way, with respect to SBA and 8A programs, that there are regulations uh, afoot to strengthen the programs as well and to define what, what it means to be disadvantaged. I don't see a, a backing away from that issue. I don't see the, 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 the definition of affirmative action being watered down or changed as it relates to economic uh, opportunity, although certainly there is an, an, an interest in that. Um, and as it relates to judicial appointments, one last point. I am delighted 
at the President's decision to nominate and the confirmation of Sonia Sotomayor. To me, she reflects, she embodies the spirit of affirmative action. She was given an opportunity, she was smart, and she took that opportunity and ran with it, graduating with highest honors in, 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 in college. And I have to say, I graduated in 69 from high school. I couldn't get into Princeton because they wouldn't admit women. But a few years later, they did, and look what she did with her opportunity. That was the whole idea of affirmative action. The door opens, you walk through, nobody helps you take your exams. You do it, you work hard, and she is a primary example of what this is all about. She became a Supreme Court Justice. I feel kind of great about this because she's kind of in my co cohort. She, she graduated a few years later, but I embrace her as one of our sisters, because I was at Mount Holyoke where we had two uh, uh, Latinas from Puerto New Yorkinos, <laughs> uh, New York Puerto Ricans. There were two of them. And so we all kind of hung together way back when because there were so few of us. And most of my colleagues from Mount Holyoke now are physicians and lawyers. To me, that's what affirmative action was all about. And I am so pleased that the president understood that and, and made the, that effort. That, has, that will change, I believe, the face of the court uh, for, from, for, time, from, for some time to come. Thank you very much, and I will answer any questions. Thank you very much, uh, Shirley and, and Judge Bea and Peter Kersenow. I um, gave a lot of thought to what I was going to be talking about today, and I had in mind the idea that I would come and talk about some of the Center for Equal Opportunities work on affirmative action in higher education. We've done uh, literally dozens of studies of admissions procedures at various colleges and universities around the country and I thought I might talk about that. Uh, Judge Bea had a, um, a little conference call with all of the members of the uh, panel to discuss what our various take would be on this panel and I can't remember precisely what I said I was going to talk about, but basically I threw all of that out the window on Sunday uh, when I sat in front of my television set and tuned in to ABC's This Week with George Stephanopoulos. Like most Americans, uh, I was very uh, concerned in following the news of the terrible massacre that had occurred at Fort Hood in Texas. And there was a great deal of speculation going on about the motives of Major Nidal Hassan, uh, who is the man who has allegedly uh, committed the crimes at that institution. And so I turned on Stephanopoulos' program, but what I didn't think I would be hearing would be a topic for today's discussion. But in his answer to a question posed by Stephanopoulos, General George Casey, who is the Army Chief of Staff, was asked whether or not the Army had perhaps dropped the ball in investigating some of the activities of uh, Major Hassan. And General Casey went on to say, and I am quoting here, what happened at Fort Hood is a tragedy. And I believe it would be a greater tragedy if diversity became a casualty there. Now, let me just say that a tragedy is when you have 13 soldiers who die in a helicopter crash. 
A tragedy is when you have 13 sailors whose ship goes down in a stormy sea. But when you have a fellow officer jump to a cable on a military installation shouting Allah Akbar before pumping 100 rounds of ammunition into his fellow soldiers, that is not a tragedy. It is an attack. Now, I believe that General Casey should be fired for his statements before, because these statements did not occur on simply one program. Uh, he made uh, equally offensive iterations of that sentiment on CNN and on NBC. But he will not be fired because, in fact, the whole premise behind his statements suggests how pervasive and how pernicious the diversity at any cost rationale has become. It epitomizes the double standard in judging individuals in order to promote some balance of racial, ethnic, and now it appears also religious uh, groups within uh, various uh, occupations. And I have to say that if this diversity rationale, as so articulated by General Casey, uh, is to be understood, then what we are really saying is that protecting diversity is more important than protecting lives, even the lives of those who defend the freedoms we enjoy. And if that's the case, the world has gone mad. Now, I bring this up because it is simply the most extreme iteration of this idea of diversity that, that does now permeate every institution in American life, from the US military to the government to the private sector to academic institutions, it is indeed everywhere. And these are the people who are in charge of advancing the discussion about one of the most important enactments of the civil rights era. You're listening to Our Common Ground at Blog Talk Radio. Our number is 347-838-9852. We have one person who, 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 who represents the organization that is to advance the issue and the dialogue in this nation about affirmative action, who thinks, somehow that campaign rhetoric can be converted to actual governance and enforcement of a law. Something that, by the way, has never been fully implemented. There has never been any real oversight. She lauds the president for his appointment of the new EEOC um, chair, 
and the EEOC is now down by 136, 136 investigators. How can you monitor and enforce if you don't have people who are capable or in place to investigate? We'd like to hear your your, your response. We're going to go to our phones. 405, you're on the air. I hope that you are Irene-free. Thank you for your call. I respect you. Yes, uh, Janice, how are you this evening? Good evening, the Don. How are you out there in Oklahoma? We're dry. dry I assume. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're dry. We had ours last week, you know, so uh, we're recovering. And uh, I just hope that the people on the East Coast uh, – do well uh, during this storm. You know, we've got about eight or nine people that's already lost their lives, mm-hmm. so it's uh, already a deadly uh, hurricane. Mm-hmm. But with reference to your topic um, and your question that you have, you know, uh, this, let me give you a bit of my experience in this. I probably uh, worked during the the good times of EEO. Uh, EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. I was employed there as an investigator during the uh, early 70s. Yeah, let me stop you for a minute uh, because it's good that you point that out to us. Are you familiar with the Ricardo Jones uh, case in New York? Uh, No. Where the senior, senior investigator in the New York EEOC office uh, was terminated for whistleblowing? Uh, no, I'm not familiar with that. I'll have to send you some information. We're trying to get him on the show because I think it's very important for people to know what's going on at the EEOC and how impotent it has been. And then you've got these people like Linda Chavez who right. represents the Center for Equal Opportunity and you've got Shirley Wilshire who is the, I mean, I was sitting there, and I was absolutely livid, and Ted Shaw came over. Uh, I've known Teddy for a very long time, and Teddy came over, and he actually put his hand on my leg because I was ready to blow the place up. What are these people talking about? And you know it. When you you work there, it was, um, go ahead. And political, you know, it's a, you know the, the directors, uh, you know, are are appointed put politically, and um, it just depends on what time of day it is, you know. Now, back in those days, uh, we had our youth uh, burning these cities down, you know, uh, during the '60s, and as a result of that, things uh, sort of opened up because it took uh, a violence. Uh, in this uh, country in order to get the country's attention as to the mistreatment that had been accorded black people uh, during these uh, many, many, many years that we've been in this country. And affirmative action and and Executive uh, Order 11246 was a remedy and a means which was to uh, try and... uh, uh, get some equity as far as uh, our progress 
economically in this country. And with reference to the EEOC, um, we did take some cases to court, uh, some class action cases, McDonnell Douglas versus Green, some things like that. And also, I'd like to mention this too, Janice, that the uh, the, the the unions were also covered uh, by the law because there were many unions that were uh, discriminating against uh, you know us as, as well as companies. And uh, so it also brought the unions to, uh, you know, we were able to scrutinize their, their work. Now, the bottom line is that uh, some progress was made during the uh, uh, 60s, 70s, uh, and then shortly after that it went downhill because of the po politics. The investigators uh, uh, that that they employ are simply overworked now, and uh, you know, uh, and and during the past uh, Republicans administrations, uh, the enforcement uh, was lax. In fact, uh, you know, EEOC was so swamped with uh, complaints, the only thing that the investigators were able to to, to do would be to intake complaints uh, and, if pressured uh, by some of the complainants or some of their attorneys, get uh, a position paper statement from the respondent or the company or the union, whatever the case may be, uh, and that's about the extent of the investigation. That's, 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 that's all you get now. So it's and, Don, most, most people do not realize that Executive Order 11246, as signed by President Lyndon Johnson, had to do with not only employment, it, which was Title VII, it also had to do with compliance to laws governing affirmative, and e affirmative action and equal opportunity with minority businesses. Yes, and the eleven two four six was tied to that government money, which which is, which was good, and uh, you know because it brought uh, a lot of the larger employers in uh, in the uh, under the umbrella of uh, scrutiny by the Department of Labor. Exactly. Exactly. And so, and so the uh, but 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 what we had here, and what I seen during my experience, was a lot of sabotage. And a lot of uh, of uh, recalcitrance on part of the uh, the, the companies to uh, to comply with the law, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, that was that was the battle. That, that was, was the battle. That, that was the battle, and it still is the battle. And it still is the battle, and that's why this Ricardo, I mean Ricardo Jones. Yes, I got it. Um, I like. Um, you know. He he really is a, a whistleblower, and when he tells the story, when you read his stories, mm -hmm. and he tells the stories of how specifically African-American complaints are being dismissed simply because they are African-American. Yes. And, and, I and can he also that. shows that he's not the only one who's been shown to the door for exposing the truth. Mm -hmm. um, 
and you know, uh, I mean, he was he was fired during the holidays. Yeah, isn't that something? Uh, and he had been there for nine years, mm-hmm. and he says that he witnessed mainly African American complaints being routinely thrown aside as unfounded and not being investigated. Yes, they do not investigate the complaints, and most people are. It, to me, it's just a, another kink in the in the chain, and, uh, you know, something needs to be uh, done about it. Uh, the, the president in, his, in this administration certainly has the authority to uh, turn that agency around, but, you know, uh, the president is there for four years or maybe eight, uh, these people have been entrenched now as uh, uh, the heads of these agencies, these directors, uh, these supervisors that work in these various field offices and district offices uh, have been uh, politicized the uh, agency to where exactly what you're saying is happening. Now, the, the, here's the kicker. The kicker is that once your complaint is dismissed, you've got approximately 180 days to uh, to file a lawsuit. That's right. And if you miss that 180 days, they don't play around with it. Hey, right. Don, I want you to hold on for a minute because one of the most interesting parts of this meeting that I attended uh, at the Federalist Society um, had to do with the question and answer period. Can you hold on and let's go through that? Certainly. And I, I want to get your response. Certainly. I think I can handle those instructions. My name is Greg Harding. I'm here uh, from Arlington, Virginia, via Kansas City. Uh, my question goes to Ms. Wilcher and uh, but to the whole panel, and I'd like to hear what Professor Shaw has to say, and I'm sure this is a question you've been posed before. Uh, Ms. Wilcher talked about how the Office con- Federal Contracting Compliance program's been elevated now that ESA has been uh, dismantled, and uh, which was the umbrella organization, and how it's probably going to staff up more and uh, do more work investigating. Uh, my question is: is as we push for just not just for more equal opportunities for African Americans or any minority for that matter, uh, but also equal results, aren't we going to be stemming the job growth and economic development that we really need in our country right now? How is pushing for more uh, social justice equal results, not just equal opportunity, but equal results good for America? Um, first of all, if you, you know the uh, contract compliance programs, you know there are actually two parts of the investigations that they do. One is, um, and I'll try to be brief, I know, one is non-discrimination. And so they will continue with that staff to look with that staff to look at issues of systemic discrimination, which is their primary focus. Secondly, is the issue of affirmative action, and by that, that largely means recruitment uh, issues, outreach. For example, a, a, a construction contractor that may not have followed the required steps to uh, reach out to recruit uh, women and, and minorities. Um, because there's evidence that there's underutilization in the non-construction area. You want to do an affirmative action program to see where they're underutilized and do the recruitment that's required to at least increase the pool from which one selects the best qualified. At the selection stage, the agency is to follow uh, established Title VII law 
in which uh, the court has said you can take race into account under very limited circumstances, but primarily under the executive order program, it's recruitment, and the, the, the standard is good faith effort. Very few contractors have been debarred because of that, uh, because of noncompliance, by the way, and I don't believe any were debarred in the last eight years. So we're talking about issues of non-discrimination now. If, if, you're, if you're arguing that that has a, a negative impact on job growth, I'm sorry, but discrimination is still against uh, the principles, at least, of this nation. And I think um, giving others a chance to, to work also promotes uh, hiring in, as well and, and gives others jobs. So I, I, I see a gain in, in promoting equal uh, employment opportunity. I would just add that um, I, I think it's a wonderful question, um, uh, maybe more wonderful than you realize. Uh, the, um, uh, but the truth of the matter is everybody knows is that the demographics of this country are changing. They will continue to change. If we don't bring in um, uh, people who historically have been excluded from mainstream opportunities, and you know, I understand what the import of the uh, equality results part of the question was. Uh, uh, I'm not you know, going to get hung up in a discussion about quotas. We all know that they're not legal. Uh, but to the extent that um, uh, we're talking about opening opportunity, if we don't continue uh, to get more people of color, more women, for example, uh, into STEM fields, science, technology, engineering, and math, just to take one example, uh, it rises to the point where it's going to threaten our national security interests, our abilities to be competitive, um, and uh, I don't think we have a choice. Uh, does it help our country? Uh, does it help our economy? Uh, absolutely. Um, uh, you know, I, I think that if we didn't do it, uh, that uh, that would be harmful to our economy and to our nation. Thank you. I'm Christian Adams. I'm from Virginia. This is primarily directed to Professor Shaw, but also the rest of the panel. We've seen essentially at least five presidential elections go by where not a word is spoken in the debates about affirmative action, whether we should keep it, whether we should expand it. There's been similar silence in congressional <laughs> elections. Would you welcome a change where there's a full and robust debate in this country about whether race-based preferences should continue, if they should, how long should they continue, and under what circumstances, or do you prefer that we maintain the status quo during election season about this issue? Well, um, uh, let me say that uh, there have been periodic, um, uh, I wouldn't even call it eruptions, but um, uh, mentions of affirmative action issues during campaigns. Um, the uh, speech that uh, President Obama, now President Obama, gave in Philadelphia is a speech that obviously uh, addressed race and um, incidentally, I think, addressed uh, some issues of, uh, of what we call affirmative action. Uh, but um, uh, ironically, and I referred to this before, I think uh, that uh, as president, um, uh, President Obama really is going to great lengths to stay away from race. It's a quagmire for him. It's uh, water that he doesn't want to carry uh, for a lot of reasons. That's why I say that he may in some ways have less maneuvering room on these issues than President Clinton did in terms of talking about it forthrightly. Would I like to see more discourse about these issues? I think that an honest discussion, and I don't focus on uh, what people call, here call preferences, uh, you know, uh, but an honest discussion about race, yeah. Uh, you know, race has been the central issue, uh, the central dilemma for this country. Uh, Gunnar Myrtle called it the American dilemma, or American dilemma has been the American dilemma. Uh, do we still need to talk about it? Yes. Have we made tremendous progress? Yes. 
Is it the issue it was 40 years ago? No. Uh, it isn't quite the same issue. It's, uh, it, it's manifested differently. Do we still have unfinished business? Yes. Should we talk about it? Yes, we should. Honestly. Uh, even in the political process, do I have much hope for it? No. Well, finally, I found... Don, you see, <laughs> even the president's men, who are supposed to be the advocates and the advisors on this issue, are hemming and hawing. Don, are you still with us? Yeah, I'm here. I had it on moot. I had but, my phone on moot. But you see, that the, they are, they are, even they are hemming and hawing, which is why this president hasn't found his voice on race. It yes. is acceptable to say that a law, this is the law of the land, that a law of the land has to be somehow compromised in the, the political discord. Yes, you know, my 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 uh, uh Arthur Fletcher is usually called the father of affirmative action who was instrumental in getting a lot accomplished under the banner of affirmative action and trying and trying to get the stigma attached to it remedied. Uh he was at one time married to my mo mother's sister. So I, I have some familiarity with with him, although I never have uh, had any close association with uh, Arthur. But that is just an aside. But uh, the thing of it is, is that see what happened was the sabotaging. They 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 would they would use quotas in. I mean, uh, uh, they would use uh, quotas in the place of goals and timetables. Yes. When you know there's just a limited was, number of individuals in this country that exactly. really know what an affirmative action program is and what constitutes an affirmative uh, action program it, and how it should, how it should be constituted. They made it a boogeyman and they threw it at down the the dining room table every time. Hey Don, uh you're you're absolutely on it. We've got to stay on this. I've had a number of discussions with with uh, Teddy Shaw, who is a professor now. He at one time was the head of legal counsel for the NAACP Legal Defense Fund about justice. It has to be forced into the political discourse. Hey, Don, thank you for your call. I'm going to try to take another call before we sure. have to close and say goodnight to Irene. All right, but and as we'll discuss this at a later time. Thanks for sharing your experience. Valuable experience, 773, you're on the air. I respect you. Thank you for your comment. Good evening, Janice. How are you this evening? Alpha, how are you, my brother? Well, Janice, another victim. They came for another victim, and no one stood up. That is the... Th that's what happened in that question and answer period. You know, the thing is, here are the, here are the advocates the people who are advising the president. You know, Linda Chavez should have been fired from the Center for Equal Opportunity just by her opening comments. Well, well Janice, Janice, 
let's face it, let's face the reality before Linda Chavez, before President Barack Obama, before you have, when affirmative action was initially implemented, the war started to demonize, vilify, and bring it down. They have been fighting and connecting. This is what think tanks do. They've rubbed out affirmative action. They've beat it down. They've vilified it to a point where now it's something wrong. It's something bad. And then they implement and drop the word, the term reverse discrimination. It's like the and race I'll tell card. You like reverse this. discrimination is like the race card word. Exactly. And I'll tell mm-hmm. you like this. We, we should not rest. We should not be satisfied until there is 400 years of strong affirmative action just to get even. And that mm-hmm. is the problem, and that is why you see people uh, not lending their voices to this. The Obama administration approaches this. This is why he can't get his voice, because they have prematurely, well, preempted him. Not prematurely, they've preempted him. And to now to speak positively about affirmative action, cast a giant shadow over your entire administration. Because mm-hmm. then the right-wing sound box will be able to say, now he's for reparations. Now he's, you know, don't, don't, you, we cannot stand and, and look at this president and blame him for what has been carved in stone. And the bringing down and the destruction of affirmative action was in place well before his presidency. He Mm -hmm. is now Mm -hmm. simply wading in the murky water. You know, and it also puts us in in the same position that it puts us in when we criticize this president. You look at the villainization of Cornell West and Tavis Smiley in their criticism of the president. They have become the bad guys. If we begin to criticize, uh, and I've been exchanging some um, emails back and forth and trying to get a date with Ricardo Jones in regard to the EEOC, because the EEOC is now hijacked. Oh, it's not just hijacked. And it's hijacked by the liver-lipped kind of discussion that went on at the Federalist Society year before last, uh, or last year, whenever it was, and and it, it in the annals inside the institutions, it, it's being whispered and and diluted in terms of its discussion. If you look at the black unemployment rate, there is no and and Barbara Arnwine talked with us about this a couple of weeks ago. There is no question that the absence or the presence of employment discrimination has influenced and contribute to the high rate of unemployment and to the deterioration of the black middle class. Absolutely. That is the bottom line. Absolutely. Um, and this so by design. I, I just, yeah, this yeah. Been, and, and it is by design. So if we criticize this new chair, and I'm also trying to get um, Marion Barry 
um, Mary Berry on uh, Our Common Ground to talk about this because I think it's very important. You cannot talk about the black unemployment rate without talking about employment discrimination. You cannot talk about the issues of the prison industrial complex. It's fine for us to rant about it, but you have to understand the details that go into how we are influenced and affected by it. Well, they have the judges in place. They have whittled down the policemen on the block by uh, getting rid of the investigators, and they have Mm -hmm. made it unpopular and anti-business to raise that issue. Janice, you got a few minutes left. I want to yeah, say, let me, and uh, we should let, we should use uh, future programs to re-raise this topic. Well, let me let me just say to to my audience tonight on Monday night at Power Views, we're going to be playing the entire panel on affirmative action at the Federalist Society because it's really important for us to hear. Because these are the people who are the faces of the Obama administration. And it's really important for us to analyze affirmative action in the Obama era. Thank you, Alpha, for your call. We've got about six minutes, and I do want to tell you uh, about some programming next Saturday night here at Our Common Ground. Uh, Our brother, Isaiah Washington will be with us in an intimate conversation about the journey that he took in finding his roots all the way from America to Africa and his career as an actor and how it all intersected. Uh, We are suggesting to you that you check out his new book. We'll be talking about that book. On Wednesday night at TruthWorks Network, Architects of Change. Um, We will be rebroadcasting my appearance with Elvin Dowling to talk about the King Memorial. Uh, It is a rebroadcast of uh, a foxhole show on XM Radio that was uh, done on Wednesday of last week. And we will be broadcasting from Washington, D.C., and if I run into any of my friends, I will drag them on the air. So we hope that you will be with us next Saturday night. Thank you so very much for being with us tonight. It is very important that you help us build our our audience. Send an email. The email that I send you, send it to somebody else. That helps. We did buy advertising on uh, the African History Network, and we hope that that will also help us. Our Common Ground has been broadcasting for 20 years. We have seen a lot. We have seen a lot. We have seen um, the emergence of the black empowerment era, which came at the bottom of the black power movement. But we have not seen enough movements. We have not seen enough of us organizing, agitating, and resisting. 
And we really do have to begin to do that. One of the things I'm recommending to this audience is that you learn more about the King Me movement. It's young people um, who are trying to find their way in all of this, and we hope that you will um, help young people get involved. We hope that the King Me movement will help young people begin to look at the history and the legacy of the civil rights movement. The civil rights movement is important because it is the era in which the important legislative steps were taken for justice and equality for black people. And it is deteriorating with each and every more powerful movement, like the Tea Party, like the conservative evangelical um, movement, like the movement of the media in this country, to shut out voices which don't have money. Yes, I said it. Our media is bought. It is bought and it bosses. And we have got to resist. You be safe out there, all up the East Coast, even after this storm. Take care of your families. Check in on your friends and make sure that as we watch Irene and the eye of this storm, we watch the eye of our own storm. There's a black eye out there, and you've got to catch it and move with it and make things happen. Don't forget, start, take your cooler out if you're on the East Coast and the storm has not reached you. Put the ice from the ice maker in the cooler in case you lose power. If you lose power and you are using candle lanterns, be careful. I'm Janice Graham, and we hope to see you next week. Thank you for being with you with us, Lion's Den, Don, and Alpha. Thank you for your call. Be safe. Thank you for being with us at Our Common Ground tonight. We hope you'll join us next Saturday night at 10 p.m. here at Our Common Ground, an intimate conversation with our brother, Isaiah Washington, actor and author. been our common ground. Thank you so much for being with us. Be safe. Take precautions. Be prepared. Good night, Irene. I'll see you in my dreams.